0: everyone. This is Jim Robbins, and this is the Good and Noble Heart Podcast. And with me again is Gary Barkalow. And uh, Gary is um, formerly with Ransomed Heart Ministries, but has since then launched his own ministry that really centers around the issue of calling and how that happens. And it's not your same old material on calling. It's not the... Let's do a personality assessment, let's figure out your spiritual gifts, or let's find you the right job. It's much deeper, and I think much more helpful than that. So um, just so you know right off the bat, his website is thenobleheart.com, and you can check out his resources. Um, Gary also has a book coming out in October called It's Your Call, What Are You Doing Here?, that really um, sets in print what we're talking here about today. So I highly recommend that. Gary, it's good to be back.
1: Oh, it's it's it is good to talk again. It's been a while, and it's going to be fun to venture into this topic now.
0: Uh, and today's topic is discovery. Um, we've kind of gone through through four um, sections of this five-part series. Today is part five, and it's discovery and how is it that God reveals to us our calling? Uh, and just by way of review, we're not defining calling as a job title, a position, or even a ministry role necessarily. The way we're describing it is, is our calling is to bring the unique effect of our lives wherever we are, at work or uh, at home, whatever situation. In other words, what is it that others experience when they're around me? What uniqueness of heart do I bring to them? And I wanted to launch with a quote by Soren Kierkegaard. He says, The greatest hazard of all, losing oneself, can occur very quietly in the world, as if it were nothing at all. No other loss can occur so quietly. Any other loss, like loss of an arm, a leg, or $5, or even a spouse, is sure to be noticed. So his point there is, um, you know, to lose heart, to lose one's identity, to lose one's very self is probably the greatest tragedy of all. And that is exactly what God came to restore. He didn't simply come to forgive and restore our rightness with God, so to speak. He came to restore the person so that we can function as fully mobile characters in his story. So, if that's what we 're after, we're after discovering the call of our life, and, as Francis of assisi says to bring us to bring wholeness back to humanity. Um, what we've pointed out before is the way God does that, the way God reveals our particular calling, is through desire. and let's go into that a little bit we, We've talked about desire being the clues to what we're about as unique persons. In other words, if I can figure out the deep desires of my heart and what's been there and and resides there, then I'm going to have a good idea of where God wants to place me in his story, how he can use me best and what I uniquely bring best. But as you say, it's going to require maturity because not all desires come from the good heart that we're given. So let's start there. What are the source of de- sources of desire other than the good heart that God gave us when we said yes to Christ?
1: And, and that's such a huge question because, you know, in general, I would say that the body of Christ has thrown out the pursuit of a person's desire because they've seen people go in bad or horrible directions as they, quote, pursued their desires. And so I think what the church did to be careful about this is say, just let desire go. It's not safe. It's not good. But the reality is we have to, as you said, we have to look at our desires because Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who is producing in us both the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. So if if we're going to find the life that pleases God, in other words, the life that we were created to live, our calling, our effect, We've got to go to desire, but again, we have to we have to understand that not every desire is good. In fact, Proverbs 14:15 says, "The naive, which which is means simple or foolish, the simple or foolish person believes everything, but the shrewd or sensible man considers his steps." So, Scripture is saying we are not to be naive, where we just go with everything. Um, we have to be shrewd or, or sensible, or you know, as Paul said in First Thessalonians 5.21, examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. So we're to examine things because not everything is good, and when we find the good, we're to hold on to that.
0: So, yes,
1: yeah, right, not every source of desire is a good source. So we have, we know about the flesh, right, that's in Galatians 5.19, and Paul says in there, he says, now the desires of the flesh are evident. And, and then he lists those desires. And, and what I'm really struck by is that he says the desires of the flesh are evident. And, and I really think that Paul is making the assumption that, like, you all know this, right? I mean, you know what the desires of the flesh are. And he's just, I think he's assuming that we are shrewd people, discerning and so we know what the flesh is we will not walk into those desires but i get fooled <laughs> i get fooled by the desires of the flesh one because they're so close to us they're they're in this old nature they're and so people get fooled by it and walk into it thinking that's who they are that's the desire god has put on their heart over the years i've seen people get this message, this idea about their heart and desires. I've seen some men go in some really foolish directions. I've seen men say, you know what, I just realized, right, God is concerned about the desires of my heart. And I desire a different woman than the one I married. She really isn't good for me. She's not bringing me life. I'm not happy. God wants me to be happy. And they go running off in this. And, and of course, they, they hide behind this idea of you know, desire, so it's my heart. God wants me to fulfill the desires of my heart. And it's just foolish, you know, it's foolishness. Mm. Um, and, and, and the sad thing is, as you know, Jim, what it does is it once again discredits the good heart and the desires of the good heart. It's, you know, the, the evil one really uses that to, to get people to throw their compass out the window, you know.
0: Mm. Right. What we tend to do is, in the church often is to have this reactive position, so that we see something that has become distorted or negative, and we say, well, therefore, the thing itself doesn't exist. You know, rather than saying, no, this is just a distortion of reality. This is, this is how it's gotten twisted, but the reality itself, for example, the desires of the new heart, no, that's real. We've got to go after that. So, yeah, that's a reactivity that hasn't been helpful for us. So the the flesh <laughs> seems obvious, <laughs> Um, but there is also an enemy that can get us, that can conspire with the flesh. So let's talk about the second one, the the enemy being a source of desire.
1: Yeah. The, The flesh alone is hard enough to contend with, to understand, you know, to not go with. But what makes us so much more difficult is the world that we live in. We have our own flesh. We also have an enemy. We have Satan who works with the flesh, and then we have the world system that the evil one has created because he's the prince of this world. And so you have him orchestrating all of these things. But, but let's, let's, go to, let's go to Satan for a minute, our enemy, our adversary. Um, he has the ability to give us certain, <clears throat> certain desires. You know, one of the best examples that I see in, in kind of a short story is Acts 5.3, where it says that there was this man, Ananias, and his wife, Sapphira. And and uh, Ananias had this idea, and that was that he was going to sell off some property they owned and and give it to the apostles for the building of the church. And uh, it was a good desire. And he went and told them this, and he did this. And then scripture says in Acts 5.3 that Satan gave him a thought, a desire. And the desire was, to, to lie to them, I mean, the, the, the lie was this, Ananias, it's your property. You know, if, if you give the apostles anything, that's enough. I mean, anything is good, so why don't you sell it, keep part of it to yourself, you don't have to tell them, and give them some, and that'll be good, good for you. And he did. And, and, and when he went to Peter, um, Peter said to him, Ananias, why did you let Satan rule your thoughts to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep for yourself part of the money you receive for the land. So here's an example of Satan giving a desire to someone. Um, And and everyone's experienced this. I mean, gosh, I I know you have, like I have, Jim, been somewhere, and we have this thought, and it's overwhelming. And it could be about a person. um, It could be about a situation. It could be it could be in the category of lust, it could be anger, it could be condemnation, whatever it is. And, and if you stop for a second with that thought, which behind it is a desire to do something, and ask yourself, where did that thought come from? You, you realize usually when it's Satan, there's no context for it. There, there's just, hmm. you know, you, you're thinking, wait a minute, there's nothing that could have triggered this. No one said or did anything to me. I think this came from another source. And, and that's often, at least for me, how I can start to figure out where it is that Satan's coming in and, and that, that it's him giving me a desire.
0: It's, it's
1: and, not and, triggered by something else.
0: And I've also had the occasion where, let's say there is a trigger, an event, or something that's disruptive or disheartening, but my reaction to it is so over the top and, and not commensurate with the actual event itself, you know, to where other people around me who know me will, will perceive it as, as an overreaction. Um, yeah. That's a signal for me to think, well, I mean, it could be the flesh. I mean, it could be a mixture of things of all, but it also could be the enemy coming in to co opt that disruptive event and to ignite it to a whole new level. So that happens to me as well.
1: Right. Oh, oh, me too, me too. And and I think the truth is, this is such a good point you made, that very few things in life are just one thing. They're almost always a combination of things. And so, right, our our flesh can be uh, enticed by something. And so maybe it comes up as a jealousy or an anger or uh, idolatry or selfishness or something like that. Uh, And then the enemy can come in and speak into that, and increase the size of the flame at that point. I mean, so rarely are things that simple. Right, you're right. Okay, so so let me get to the third point, because this is not really where we're going the whole time in this, but the third place that desires can come from, and this is really a difficult one, and that is from the wound. Hmm. You know, there are certain things that have happened to us, whether they're things that were spoken to us that should not have been, or things that weren't spoken to us that should have been or even in the realm of things that were done to us that shouldn't or done, things that weren't done that should have been. And what, they create these woundings, and then they create this need uh, to either never let that happen again or to try to get something from people. And, and that turns into a desire, and that's very hard to discern because it's so it's so deep within us because wounds happen at the level of the heart. And so that's why, you know, from our previous session we talked about the assault and, and the other sessions talking about the heart and so much that you've written on um, you have got to live at the level of the heart if you're going to discern the desires that have come up from the wounds of the heart And they're, they're not easy because they feel so us um,
0: Right, but we've and got to
1: understand it, it. Yeah.
0: that's so important to hear because I'm convinced that I'm in a chapter like that in my own life that In order for God to give me the next thing that is a legitimate desire in my life, something that I know he's moving me towards that directly affects my calling, it's it's something good that what I'm experiencing I'm perceiving as a stalling or, God, you're just working against me. And and what I'm hearing over time, because it's taking a long time to convince me the truth here, is, no, I have to come in, this is directly related to your core wound, and I have to come in and you have to allow me to heal that, and I've been healing it, but you have to allow me to do a deeper work here. Because if you don't, and I were to give you exactly what you want right now, it would sabotage your life and it would sabotage your ministry as well. And I don't don't want to create that context for you. So let me do some healing work here. And that's really tough because otherwise that wound would lead me – it would lead me to approach those desires or try to get those desires filled in all the wrong ways. So, yeah, wound is a really tough one, and it's, and it's something that I don't know we can always see ourselves right away, which we'll talk about in a, in a little bit. It sometimes requires someone else to speak into that. And the last source of desire was was the good heart, which has been dismissed, as we talked about.
1: It's so true that it has been dismissed. And I don't know what people do with this, like I said, this core scripture that God has produced in us the desire to do what pleases him. Dramatic and it's drastic what happens to people when they throw out their desires and their heart. And they really, truly are lost without a map, a compass, a GPS unit. They're just lost, you know.
0: And, and it's almost like I've seen this reflected in, in um, how I'm learning to parent, or parent my children, is that if you're – and a lot of this comes really from a good heart to protect your child. You have this desire to protect your child um, or keep them from the things that you know would, would sabotage their life. So rather than teaching them to discern – and begin trusting their heart more and more that their that this new heart that God has given them will lead them if they listen to it, and, you know, and if they develop that discernment. Rather than teaching them that, you say, well, you know what? We're going to eliminate that altogether. We're going to eliminate that potential um, that potential downfall or that potential place of sin altogether. And what and so what you lose <laughs> with the child growing up or what the adult growing up loses under this kind of reactive posture is the ability to discern where the desire is coming from. If, if it's coming from the flesh or the enemy or the wound or the good heart. So I think it's important to discern between those four and to say, you know what? I'm not going to be reactive in this. God is, if I screw up, God is going to walk with me. It's redemptive and I'm going to try to discern where it's coming from, but I'm not going to be so tight-reined that I don't allow myself to even enter in. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to move on to um, just review the, the enemy's pattern of shutting down our heart. In other words, if we're really dangerous as people, and I mean dangerous in the best of all possible terms, if there's a story go on, going on for which each of us are, are needed then the enemy has a plan of attack as well, because that's the last thing the enemy wants is for us to be fully alive. So he deadens, and if he can't do that, he'll diminish our desires, or he'll get us to hate what we love, our very desires, or say, you're disqualified. But as you say, there's also a, a pattern that God uses. So what, let's spend some time on that. What is God's pattern of revealing and, and, and drawing out, our calling, are the effect of our lives.
1: And, and, and this is so important because, again, if we, if we recognize patterns, and, and that's, just, that's just a huge part of wisdom and maturity in this world, is, is recognizing patterns. Uh, but, but if we recognize the pattern of God, um, you know, we'll, we'll be able to figure out what is he doing and how do I cooperate with this versus misinterpreting and then fighting against. Or, or, or really just accusing God of being unhelpful or, or you know, or getting in your way. So I, I see this pattern as I study biblical characters, as I study historical characters, and, and as I look at my own life and those whom I talk to, this is just really apparent. And it is this pattern of awaken, deepen, and fulfill. That God has to awaken our desires because of the assault on our, ta- on our heart. Because of the world that we live in, the story that we're part of, he continually has to awaken our heart because of the enemy's attack, again, to deaden, you know, our very own heart or to diminish or to disdain and disqualify, as you mentioned. So a lot of – God spends a lot of time awakening the desires of our heart and then deepening those desires because just, just because we're aware of a desire doesn't mean we understand it fully. We may have a glimpse of it, but we, we may not be close to the whole picture of what it really is and what it means. And, and then he, God will typically say, now now go fulfill that for a while. Go do that. Put that into action and learn. And so we go out and do something for a while, and cause God kind of opens the door and says go, and he provides the opportunity. And then during the opportunity, he awakens more of our desire that we were not aware of and then deepens it and says, now go fulfill us even more. So when we see this, we can say, oh, I think God is up to awakening my heart right now. So if the opportunity doesn't come up, we can't fulfill it yet. We do know that God is up to something. It's needed and it's good. We aren't fighting him as to why can I ever do this when God might be saying, no, right now, right now you just have to understand your desire. You You have to connect with it once again, the desires that I put into your good heart.
0: So can you uh, give an example of maybe a time where you served in an organization where you thought it was moving in a particular direction towards fulfillment, but what God was up to was awakening the desire and, and, and forming that in a more solid way?
1: Yeah, yeah. and, and let me before I, as I give the story, let me start with this first because it's so key to this idea of awakening. It's Isaiah 52.1, and it says, Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength, Put on your garments of splendor. Okay, so so God's speaking to the body, to believers, and he says to them, "Awake, awaken yourself, you know, put on your garments of splendor. So he has to do that. Okay, so years and years ago I was in this job, and it was, you know, it was a pretty good job, and it was a pretty good organization, and it was a very good organization. But I was doing a job that I did not enjoy anymore. It didn't fit me well. It did in the beginning. It was just part of my journey, but um, I, I was I was just not enjoying it anymore. So during this time, um, there was a man hired to start a ministry to people over fifty. It was called Focus Over Fifty. And and so he had, when he came into the organization, he heard that I had a fascination, a passion about life stages and calling and passion. So, someone introduced him to me, and we spent three months where I was sharing with him everything I knew, everything I found, every book I read, every person I knew. And I was just giving him everything and loving it. I mean, I was just loving talking about what we were talking about. I was really enjoying my work for the first time, though that was not my primary work there. Um, and so, after three months, he came to me and said, Gary, I, I've been given permission to hire somebody now, and I'd love to have you and I work together. And so he said, if you'd like to do that with me, um, you need to talk to your boss because you're going to be an exception. You're a higher pay grade than I've been given permission to hire. So therefore, it's going to go from my boss to your boss and so on. So I went to my boss and I said, look, you know I've been helping this man. You've given me permission to do this. And I've loved it. And he wants me to help him develop this. And I said to my boss, and, and I believe this is what I was made for. Honestly, this makes me come alive. And he said, Gary, I know this makes you come alive. I know you are supposed to do this, but that's not what this is going to turn into. He said, I sit in meetings that this man does not sit in, and I'm telling you that what, what you are thinking is going to happen with this, the direction you think it has, it's something different. And, and I knew he was telling me the truth. And so I, I had to go back to this guy and say, you know what, I've, I've been praying about it pondering it, thinking, and, and I can't do it. I, I think God has told me I can't do this right now. And I was upset at first. I was so mad, thinking, you're kidding me. God, you're kidding me. You got me this close to something that I've always wanted to do, that's on my heart that would make me come alive, and you make it disappear on me mm-hmm. like that. He gets to do it. I don't. And, and at first I kind of went silent on God. And um, then after a while, I came back, and I said, all right, God, what what are you up to? What's the story here? And remember before, I said that that question of what's the story is not just a cute little phrase. It's profound. And Hmm. asking God, what's the story? And God came back with a question. He said, Gary, how much did you want to do that? And it can sound like a teasing question, but it wasn't. And I just said, God, I, I want to do this so bad. This is where I want to spend my time. Not this other thing. And God said, right, I want you to be completely aware of the life you want to live, the desire of your heart. You have to be aware of it if you're going to recognize the opportunity when it comes. This is the right desire, but this is the wrong opportunity. I'm just awakening your heart. And that was a game changer. I mean, my attitude changed. Everything changed at that point. You know, it went from being mad at God and mad at circumstances saying, all right, God, keep awakening my heart so that when the right, when the next thing comes, I'm going to recognize it. It really changed things on me. It was really important.
0: And uh, if if you hadn't, (laughs) if you hadn't been willing to come back to God after that initial feeling of betrayal and not been able to hear the question, so what did you love about what you were doing? That's what I want to focus on you could have either chased your desires and ended up in the wrong place or been disheartened and never find your desires fulfilled. I know for me, one of the, one of the means by which God has awakened desires through pain, I'm thinking specifically of the time that I spent, you know, quote, in professional ministry as a pastor about 15 years ago. Um, I just didn't fit from day one because I had such a strong sense of my individual calling even back there even in its nascent developing form i, I didn't know what i knew, know today about myself but the church i found was not a place at least church leadership was not a place where you could be an individual they wanted robots they wanted people to plug the holes to to um to just kind of maintain the ministry machinery and so Um, I was perceived as the villain in this because I was the only one asking these questions about my own life or about the system, how it was set up and how it didn't allow for this kind of thing that was completely biblical. And it was was extremely painful to the point where they said, uh, we're not going to ask you back. We're not going to give you another position in ministry, another church. You're gone. I mean, and they, quote, removed my credentials, which is really funny now that I think about it. Um, that, that I would think that they had the capacity to remove my credentials. Um, but through that pain of of seeing what I knew the church was not supposed to be and the place that was working against my finding and living out God's call for me, God's, uh, God was able to refine and use that as a catalyst to move me forward to – to the real desires. I mean, it woke some things up. I mean, even, even people need to get perhaps even angry. You know, I, I, that can serve a really good purpose. When something has happened to the point where an injustice in their life has occurred, God can use that and use the anger to say, all right, here's where I'm really taking you. Um, so would I want to go through it again? No. But I don't know that I would be the person I am today and have the clarity about my call today, unless mm-hmm. I had gone through those very painful times where it was absolutely the complete opposite of what I wanted. It wasn't a welcoming environment for who I was. It was, right. it was complete assault. So uh, pain has often been a, a, one of the ways God awakens things. Um,
1: yeah. So, so, Jim, let me, let, me, let me ask you, what um, coming out of that, Now, obviously you have far more clarity now than you had years and years ago when this occurred, but what, what specifically, what desire specifically was awakened, the desire of what you really wanted to do that, that probably you weren't able to do back then?
0: Yeah, I think it was two things. I think it was, number one, the desire to find my place. In other words, to find a place where I could be the unique person that God wanted me to be rather than this scripted, you know, fill the holes in the dam kind of job that a lot of pastoral positions turn into. So I wanted to, maybe even more adamant to find out who I, where I belonged. And secondly, it gave me a very, a much deeper conviction about what God was calling the church to be. Um, And I'll talk about this in a little bit, but part of what developed out of that was here, here, God, I'm, here, Jim, I'm giving you an example of what the church is not supposed to function like. And out of that, I, I gained a deeper understanding, but also a, a more of a passion to expose assumptions, which is part of what I do today, not necessarily about the way church ministries are set up or how staffs ought to, ought to operate. But since then, I've recognized that part of what I do is challenge assumptions that keep people or – groups of people like the church from being what God has called them to be, from being fully alive, from not fulfilling God's intent. So um, I think that's some things started to awaken, this, this ability to challenge assumptions, um, to perhaps, I don't wanna, I'll say prophetically, but I, I don't mean that in some sort of fortune-telling way, perhaps to speak into the body in a way that exposes assumptions that keep it from the life God has and to keep people from the life God has. So that began to develop out of that sort of cauldron of, of pain and chaos.
1: Yeah. Okay, that, that's so good. And that, that's so good to bring us into the next part, and, and that is of deepening. Because, again, like a circumstance you went through awakens this desire in you, as I've got these as well, where I, I, I come to the realization, this is what I really want to do. And it may initially feel more like this is what I don't want to do, mm-hmm. which leads you to what you do want to do because it begs the other question. But anyway, this thing that gets awakened in us of this is what I really want to do. This is what I want my life to be about. This is, this is what I want to speak to in one way or whatever. But then, as we were saying, and you're, you were going right into it, is then God says, great, I've awakened that. But now I have to deepen it. I want you to understand more fully what I've awakened. What does it mean? What's in the depth of it that you need to now bring out to the world? And so many people make the mistake of the first time they're awakened to a desire or their desires, they run into it. They, they run to go fulfill it. And then it's, it's disaster because the think, as you're saying, God say, no, 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 not yet, not yet. You don't understand enough yet. I'll get you there. There's no rush. So, You know, we see Psalm 119, 125, where where David says, Give discernment to me, your servant, and then I will understand your decrees. So God has to give us discernment, understanding, so that, uh, you know, we understand what the desire means. Our first experience of a desire, our first glimpse of it, is often uh, not very correct, right? It's just, it's like for me, I thought as my heart was awakening and became a Christian, I thought, how my whole life needs to be about gymnastics. That's what I love, and I think I can impact people and things through this, through gymnastics. And then after six years of running a gymnastics center, God said, "Now what do you think?" And I thought, "I don't like gymnastics." <laughs> and He took me into, but, but what do you love? And I realized, oh, the, the thing about gymnastics, the thing about running a gymnastics center that I love is is discovering. What, what is the purpose? What, what makes a great gymnastics performance? What elements are needed? How do you train in those things so that when you perform, you move the hearts of others that are around you? And then with the same thing with the gymnastics center, what, what makes this gymnastics center work? And how does it have an impact in people's lives? What are the elements? What's a great performance for this business, if you will? And God said, right, that's the deeper, the truer thing about your heart, what I put there. And you're going to take that into other places rather than gymnastics. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was
0: going to say, how, I, how I've seen that develop in, in your life is you take that principle of what, what makes a performance or, or what makes this tick, um, and then you, can, you carry that into the orga- sub- subsequent organizational positions that you had. And then you, you, you sort of took it from the macro to the micro. Well, what does it mean for a person? Um, how does a person function as they're intended to function? Does that sound kind of how, how God developed that?
1: Yes, yes, very much, very much. And, and you know, a, a similar. And you need to tell the rest of your stories you're alluded to, but a, a similar story of now kind of going really into the pain of things to go deeper was, you know, there was a period where I, I went into this one position, and for a year and a half, I lost who I was. I mean, I've studied myself for years and years and trying to understand the heart and trying to understand calling and function and design. And there was a year and a half where I lost everything I knew. Everything was stripped away from me. It was gone. It was at least veiled, not stripped away from me as in not present, but veiled over. And God was up to that because he was taking me into some deeper understanding of my desire without having to solely live out of it. Where I didn't need God, I knew enough, that's what I felt. And God said, no, you actually need to know some more things. And I'm going to have to put you in an environment that is not familiar to you, where you are going to operate outside of your strengths, your understanding, your discernment, your training. And I'll tell you what, it was in that year and a half that many of the things that I I teach and write about now came from. And it was that hard, those hard years. And, and they didn't simply, you know, write themselves on my forehead. It was going back and saying, what happened? God, why did this happen? What were you up to about this? Who am I today because of that, that I wasn't before I walked into this? And uh, he really deepened the understanding of what I wanted to say and how I wanted to help people and what I was offering the effect of my life.
0: Hmm. And oftentimes as part of that, that painful experience where it feels like a stripping down, for me, it, it would be very easy for, a, for me to allow good and noble desires to take the place of God himself. And so part of what God will do sometimes in that period of deepening is to say, let's deepen your first desire. Um, because it is so easy to, especially when you really, really, you're starting to learn who you are and you know where you want to go. It's so easy for, to, to allow that calling to usurp the place of God himself, which, if we allowed that to happen, would suck the life out of everything that we want in the first place. I'll share a couple things um, in reference to, how we can react sometimes and think that something that feels deep isn't really in the long run, the calling. Um, You know, at one time I thought my ministry because of the pain that I experienced in church ministry uh, was to address the hazards of the institutional church, you know, to, to, you know, to, to write about that, to speak about that. That, I thought that that was what I was supposed to do because I had, the, the pain was still fresh and so I assumed, well, this is something I feel strongly about, so that must mean that's what I'm called to. And in a sense, I address tangential issues to that now. But, but the more I've come and allowed oh, God to heal me, the more that that immediate emotional weight is seen as just that, emotional weight rather than the deeper call. Um, I have also had other experiences where I've been to a, let's say to a retreat or a men's event where it just absolutely changed my life. And I I discovered this whole new way of looking and it just validates me in ways I've never been validated before. Well, at one time I thought, well, my my job now is to lead men's events. You know, that's my ministry. Uh, I, I experienced blessing from this. So that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to you know, share the same message leading men's events. And I did that for a time. But, again, what we're going to talk about it in a little bit is it didn't have staying power. It wasn't right. a deeper desire. Um, so maybe we can go into that. In terms of discerning the actual calling, that deeper thing underneath the events of our life, what do we need to listen to?
1: Okay, good. How do we truly discern the desires that are in our heart? That God is awakened and he's deepened. Okay. There's a, there's a couple things. There, there's three basic things I want to talk about. One is listening to your heart. The other category is listening to others. And the third category is listening to God. So, so in the first category, listening to your heart, what we need to do is look for our strongest desires. In other words, our strength of desire. What is, what is it that we are compelled to do versus what are we simply concerned about. And, and the reason I think this is important is we live in a time of uh, amazing documentaries. You know, you can get on uh, all sorts of cable stations and they have these great documentaries and they're, they're so well done, the photography, the writing, the, the, uh, the actors in it, the, the speaker. And I'll tell you, by the time they are done, you are convinced that your life is to save whales or your <laughs> life is to, you know, is to bring uh, water to the poor in, in underdeveloped countries or it's to bring up the level of education and, and all things that, you know, have value. They really do. But it doesn't mean it's your calling. It doesn't mean it's the thing that God has created you to do primarily. What we have to do is look at all the things that we maybe have, maybe I'll put in the category of concern about, and that feels like a strong desire, but it's not. You have to stop and say, what, what is really strong in me um, versus just every concern that I've ever been exposed to? There is this great, great quote uh, that I ran across that, that says it so well, and it's by Thomas Merton. And he said, to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, To commit to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything, is itself to succumb to the violence of our time. Frenzy destroys the fruitfulness of our work because it kills the root of inner wisdom and makes makes work unfruitful.
0: Hmm. And
1: so this idea, if we live in a frenzy of so many concerns and wants and needs, and, and so what happens is we often feel most guilty about what we don't care about rather than, if you want to feel guilty about something, feel guilty about not doing what you most want to do, what God's put on your heart to do. So we have to look at strength of desire. What is the strongest desire in us?
0: And can I, can I just interrupt you here for a second? Yeah. Part of, part of what uh, a message that I heard in the church growing up, I think it was John, I think John Wesley said this, and, um, It's something like do all the good you can to all the people you can all the time that you can. Mm -hmm. And the impression that one can walk away with is I've got to help everybody that walks across my path to give whatever I can, no matter what it costs my heart. Um, And so you have churches full of that, full of, as we talked about before, packhorse Christians who will carry anything for anybody as long as they're asked to do it, and is killing their heart first, and is also misdirecting them from probably the deep and true desire of their own heart. Right. So even these sort of spiritual-sounding things that we can get from the ages past often do us a disservice.
1: Yeah, that's such a great point. And, and when you when you were reciting that quote I mean what struck me was really the key word in there was good right do good and 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 it can't be any good I mean yes okay I I can't hide behind the idea of someone needs help and I say well that's that's not my calling I'm sorry and I have the ability to help them we're not you know obviously we're not talking about that extreme right but there is a particular good that we are created to do and if we don't know what that is we will dabble our life away, responding to every need and every demand and every request that's made of us. And bottom line, we've done some good, but really we dabbled our life away and we never gave the weighty, unique, needed contribution of our life. Hmm. So, so
0: if, now, if, if, yeah. if the strength of our desire is the first category – then we think about consistency. And you say, uh, we need to think about the historic desires versus the temporary desires. So let's go into that right. a little bit.
1: Right. So, so the first, yeah, so the first um, measurement of desire that we have to put up against them is one, how strong is that desire really? But what goes right with it, as you said, is how consistent has that desire been? Because what God has placed in your heart to do, again, for it is God who's developing, producing in you both the desires and the ability to do what pleases him. That desire has been there your whole life. Now, we've discovered more and more of it. We've bumped into it, and a little more came out. But it's been there our whole life. And so we need – that's why we have to be aware of our story and our life. We have to be able to look back, and most often we really need the eyes of others for this one. But we need to be able to look back and say, you know what? I've always loved doing that. I mean, since I was a little boy – I always loved, you know, whatever it is, discovering, bringing clarity, organization, nurturing, bringing, you know, whatever it is, that theme has been in your life. It has been consistent. Uh, it didn't just occur in the last year. And so you have to see what's consistent because that shows you what is, is most true about you. I mean, I've studied calling for over 25 years now. I've never been paid to do it, it's never been my job. I didn't get a degree in it. I wasn't forced to do it. I just have loved it, loved it, loved it. And, and so I pick up the books and I talk to people about this and I try things. It's been not only my strongest desire, but it's been my consistent desire, you know, throughout my life.
0: And, it, and it's where you go in any conversation. It, it's, oh, exactly. It's, All the
1: yeah, time.
0: it's where you try, you try to lead people directly to the idea of desire and calling, whatever the conversation is. Right. And,
1: and, you know, speaking of whatever the conversation is, you know, I've learned that some, some conversation is not appropriate, you know, <laughs> we're just sitting at a party or something. But I'll tell you what, that's where my mind goes and my heart. And, but mm-hmm. I've learned not to say anything. I'll just say, you know, this isn't the opportune moment, but I'll look for one, and I may say, you know, hey, uh, Ted, let's get together sometime. I have some thoughts as we've been talking, you know. But so, yes, my heart is always going there. Um, C.S. Lewis said, what I like about experience is that it is such an honest thing. And if we want to understand what is our truest, honest desire, I mean, it's real, right? It's authentic. It's real. It's not contrived. You look at experience. You look back at your life and say, has it been there? It has been. Hmm. Then it's true. If it just came up in the last you know, week, month, year, and it may be more contrived. It may be something that someone else is creating in us, or it's an avoidance or a something, behavior, you know, and, and therefore that desire.
0: Then the next thing might be, um, again, another means for God awakening our heart. It might be stories of desire. You know, what, what movies have captured our hearts? What novels? What storylines and plots? What, what kind of characters um, are we drawn to? Um, because God will often use those. I mean, some, some of the deep restoring work that God has done in my life, revealing my, let's say, um, a new name for me that represents my calling and who I am, didn't necessarily come out of a scripture passage. They came from a movie because of the emotional weight, the impact, the, the, the multidimensionality that that, afford, that that afforded me. Um, God spoke really deeply. So I, you know, that's another category is the stories of desire.
1: Right. It's huge. It's huge. And you know, some people will say, Oh, that's just a clever postmodern technique now and and I'll say to them, No, it's not no it's not. You, you you read history books and people aspired to be like somebody, right? They read about a character. They read about, you know, Abraham Lincoln or they read about the apostle Paul or whatever and and they they said, There's something in my heart, I want to be just like him and it went beyond just aspiring or admiring a good person, it went to a deeper level of something in me feels like I'm supposed to be that in a good way. And so it's always been true. Our heart will gravitate towards certain characters, stories, whether it's written or it's it's on film. And so, oh, it's such a powerful clue as to what is written on our heart by analyzing what story, character, name, person do I resonate with? I mean, I really do. My heart leaves and says, that's what you were made to be, like that person, or to do what he or she is doing. It's huge. Like, one of my favorite movies is uh, The Legend of Bagger Vance. And, and I, it's a lot of people's favorite movie because it's so well done. It's got such a great story. But my love for it goes to the level of, I know I was made to do what Bagger Vance does. That's what hmm. I want to do for people. I want to be able to help bring them back to their, as in the movie, their authentic swing, what was in them all the time, what was lost. I mean, that's what I want to do. So even though I resisted the movie because I'm not a golfer and golf gave, had no interest for me, but through the coaxing of others who said, you're going to love this because you're like this, I loved it when I finally saw it. And my heart said, that's it. You are made to be like it. That's an image. That's a picture. So stories of desire, is a huge clue as is strength of desire and consistency of desire. There's another category, and that is there are certain words of desire that our heart resonates with as well. There, there are certain words that we'd love to use. We use them all the time. We're unaware of it typically, but they're our favorite words because it, it, we're speaking the effect that we want to have on this world and with others. So three of my favorite words, and I tend to use them a lot is clarity, clarity, um, Focus and design. I, I love those words. I love and that's where I go. I, I get in a situation and I'm looking for clarity. What's the issue here? Well what's the issue for this person? Well what are they really asking? And then I want to bring in focus. I want to now focus in on, okay, now specifically you. What have you loved doing? What what's on your heart? And these kind of things. And then design, right? I want to throw out some ideas of how can we get you there? Well, here's something to help you discover this. So we do have certain words we love speaking, and that reveals the desires of our heart as well.
0: Uh, and one of the things that I've done to, as a tool that I, I think I use for myself, but as I oftentimes will share with other people, is um, you know, take a given sentence, uh, for example, what I love to offer is, or, or what I love to do is, and then fill it with a verb, especially verbs like uh, uh, to bring clarity or um, restore people or create something. So what I love to do, and then fill it with the, the verb especially that, that resonates with you. So mm-hmm. that, you know, so that, and then what do you want to see happen? Well, so that people get restored or so that people find their calling or, or find God's in design for their life. So the verbs capture what they would end up doing, the effect of their life um, that resonates right. with them. And then the end of the sentence is so that, well, what aspect of God's restoring work do you want to see happen in them or for them? So it, yep. it's a, I, I think it's helpful to, to bring that together, to bring those words we like together to sort of form a direction.
1: Yes. Yeah, really true really important. That, that is very good. Our words are very telling if, if someone can help us discover the words that we love to use and, and, and help us drill down like you said from the generalities that we tend to use into what do we really mean. When we say that, what do we really mean? And, and, and the, the sad part is most of us never think to that level of depth but that's mm. where the treasure is. That's where you find out what God's put in your heart if you do that. Okay, so something you mentioned before, which is such a good thing. So we just talked about listening to your heart. The, the second category was listening to God. Um, or, or listening to others. Let me go there first. Listening to others. As you said, you know, we're often too close for clarity, right? I mean, we live in our life. It is our life. And, we, and, and typically what we watch and love, what we speak repeatedly, um, how we think, we do it all the time. It's our life, it's our head, it's our heart, and we just think it's ordinary. We just think everybody does this. My experience is their experience. And what I do is ordinary, not extraordinary. And it takes other people to say, you know, Gary, I don't think like you think. I didn't see what you saw. I don't love the movie like you love the movie. I, I don't use those words typically. And we need that to go, wow, maybe that is unique to me because, i love those. So we really need the eyes of others. And when I say that, they're observing our life, and therefore their questions or observations, you know, into our life. Um, C.S. Lewis said, in each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. We need other people to call the whole man, our whole being, into activity by seeing what we don't see about who we are.
0: And I know for myself there have been particular people that I can think of in my life at different points in my journey that, have been, that began to affirm those aspects of my calling, that effect of my life that I probably wouldn't have seen. But that as I look back over time, it was exactly God using those individuals, their words, Um, in ways that gave me a little bit more clarity, understanding in terms of what I was called to. So that's that community function. Um, And and you're right, most people don't get to this level. Most people don't get to the level of of shared community where someone is able to pull out of them the good and the deep glory of their hearts because we're so busy trying to manage each other's sin, you know, the whole accountability thing that even people, even people hearing us say other pe having other people in our life to call us out. I mean, I know for many instantly that will mean for them, well, I got to get some people to hold me accountable. And that's not what we're talking about. You know, there, there is a function of, of, um, you know, exposing painful things in our lives, but for too long, we've ignored this aspect of pulling out the glory of another person. Um, and, and I, unfortunately, we have a couple minutes left. Um, I wanted to go to the last category. The first is listening to our own heart, then listening to others who can help pull out the full man or the full woman, as Lewis said. And then the last one is God. So let's just touch that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this is so important. You know, the wisdom, the discernment, the reasoning, the understanding that God has given us is important. But it will not take us everywhere we need to go. It will not bring to us everything we need to know. There there are certain things that only God knows about us, our story, our future, our current circumstance. And so he really must speak to us the things that we need to know now. So you have in Ephesians 117 where Paul says he prays that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So Paul is saying we need both a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. We honestly need that. And so it is absolutely essential if we're going to discover what God has put in our heart, who we are, therefore what we're to do, that we ask God to speak. And not just God give me wisdom, because he does. And we do ask for that. But this is more. This is different. And, and And I would put it into this way. We need to get times to get away with God, disengage from life. Now, he'll speak to us in all sorts of circumstances. But we have to have moments when we eliminate all those circumstances, disengage, where we say, God, it's just you and me now. You know, I've purposely done this. This is a God date. You know, it's just you and me. And I'm shutting everything out so I can hear you plainly right now, speak to anything. And, in fact, I just did a, a video blog on my website where I, I, I went up. I just spent on my birthday, which I've been doing for years, I'll spend usually a couple days alone with God in my pop-up tent trailer. And, um, and so I thought, well, I'll just get on video and just kind of record how I'm doing this one. And it was a phenomenal time for me. I mean, I walk away going, I need to do this every four months. And I end up doing it only once a year. But, it's, but God spoke to some things that, that I could not get to. I mean, he had to speak to it. He has to bring revelation.
0: Mm. Um, and, boy, that's good. Um, yeah, something that talk therapy and analysis just won't touch. God can God can touch in an instant. Uh, Gary, it's always great to talk to you. Um, I just want to tell, tell the listeners that um, the next podcast is going to be number six out of a seven-part series, and we're going to go further into this idea of development. How does God develop our calling into more of a maturity? Um, and again, Gary's website is thenobleheart.com. He's got some great resources, great um, CD series. Um, Gary, um, we'll, we'll talk soon.
1: I hope so. I've, I've always enjoyed this. I love talking and walking with a brother like you. So, Jim, thank you.
0: Hey, thanks. Take care. alright go right. Bye-bye. bye-bye.